Thank you, Danny. If you have your Bibles this morning, I would like to invite you to turn to (coughs) Proverbs chapter 21. (coughs) We're going to be looking at uh, just one verse today, and uh, but uh, I think that once we're finished today, you will say to yourself, my, my, what a, what a verse that, that is. You know, God is famous when it comes to the Bible for sticking right in the middle of a chapter, uh, a powerful verse that uh, most people just, because they don't read the Bible with any kind of conviction or any kind of detail, they just kind of blow right, right over it and never see it. And uh, they, never, they never see what God has for them. And uh, this verse, and it's verse 18, <clears throat> this verse and the concept of this verse is so powerful that it, it, it just demands to be preached by itself. It demands for somebody to take this verse. It just screams out for somebody to uh, take this verse and, and let it stand on its own merits. You know, we, ha- we have been talking about getting God's understanding. We know that from now, uh, that that means you ability and my ability to see things uh, in life as God sees them. Uh, understanding probably is the most important word uh, in the Christian life once you get saved. To get to that point in your life where you see your life, you see everything in your life, everything around you, your family, everything you do, and you understand it from God's standpoint. And I think it would be safe to say that <clears throat> the simple reason uh, why God's people are, are in the shape they're in today. We, we've talked the last couple of weeks about the Laodicean church in Revelation chapter 3, how the Bible says that, you know, that, that, that God's people today are, are, are literally miserable. They're wretched, they're poor, they're blind, and are going to wind up naked at the judgment seat of Christ. And I think it would be <clears throat> safe to say today that the basic reason for that uh, will be a, a lack of understanding of this one incredible verse. And it's a verse that, that uh, to me, uh, it's, it's, it's always been a, an incredible verse. And I want to read it for you today, and then I, I want to talk to you about some things. And this is going to be probably a little different sermon this morning that you, uh, you uh, hear. You can't, when you have a church and you have to preach every week, you have to know how to carry things along. You, uh, if you're on the road every Sunday, you can preach, you know, however you want, whatever you want. But you can't do that when you have a church. There's a lot of things you've got to try to cover. But uh, every once in a while, it's good to go back and, uh, and find a verse like this and just kind of put everything aside. And uh, I, I call these my throwback verses. It's like you watch the football in the baseball guys, they wear the old uniforms that back in the 1800s and early 1900s, they call them throwback uniforms. Well, every once in a while, a pastor needs to go back and get a throwback message. Something that uh, we're not going to teach today. I'm not going to preach to you today. I'm going to preach about something today. And if it comes down on you, uh, the Bible says if, if, uh, if, if we preach Christ, if we lift up Christ, all men will be drawn unto him. And I just simply today want to take this verse, and I want to I want to preach about I want to preach Christ. I, I want to preach about something that uh, um, you know I could preach it every week, and it would never get old for me. It would for some of you, but it 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 wouldn't for me. 
And the verse in Proverbs chapter 21, verse 18 says this, The wicked shall be a ransom for the righteous, and the transgressors transgressor for the upright. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I, I always feel <clears throat> very inept when it uh, comes to get up and preach your word. I, I feel like Jeremiah so many times in Jeremiah chapter 1 that, you know, I, I want to be so careful with this holy book and, and say everything just the way that you want it to be said. And Lord, it's, it's, a, it's always a balance in anything that we do. And Lord, I, 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 know, I always feel that way and I always want to be careful. But Lord, today with this, this verse in front of me, I just really want you to guide every word. I want you to give me everything that needs to be said. Not only to say it, but the way I need to say it. Lord, these are good people here today, but we all suffer from the same problem. And that is, it's so easy in the world that we live in to lose our sight of what uh, we're, our real calling is. It's easy for a church to do that. And Lord, it's easy for us as God's people to let so many things take the place of the most important things in our life. So I, you need to help me today, Lord. I, I need you. I need you every time. I need you all day, every day. But I need you today as I preach this verse. I would never want to even attempt to open up the <coughs> content of this verse without your power, without the Holy Spirit of God uh, giving me everything that I need to say. So I pray that you'll help us today. Help me today. Help me to preach the truth that needs to be preached. But help these dear people to receive the truth that they need to receive. Let the Word of God come deep inside us today and let it change about us what needs to be changed because we're living in a day and age in Christianity where we claim to be saved, but nothing ever changes. And we need to change ourselves today. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, for a sake we ask it. Amen. Now, this is one of the great prophetic verses found in the Bible on the substitutionary death of Christ on the cross for you and for me. Christ being sin for me. Christ taking on my sin debt, his becoming what I was, a sinner. Christ who was perfect and sinless yet for me, for Bob Alexander. Now, you got to understand, this message, you may be listening to it for me this morning, and I may be giving it to you as your pastor to my people in this church, but I want you to understand, this is my own personal message today. This is basically for me. Uh, I, I, Christ, who was perfect and sinless, yet for me, Bob Alexander, for me, he became wicked and he became a transgressor. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 53, uh, verse 12, that he was numbered with the transgressors. He did that so that I could have God's righteousness and be upright in God's sight. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, it says, for he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And the Bible says, righteousness of God in him. There's Ephesians chapter 1, where everything that God did, he put in Christ. And we get Christ, we get all that he has for us. Christ, my ransom. I want to preach to you this morning, out of this verse in Proverbs, about my ransom for my sin. Christ, my ransom. My righteousness through him taking my transgression. And I want you to be able to apply that to your life today, and I hope you can. And today, here's yet another foreign concept to God's people. The, 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 the real price that was paid for our salvation. Now, I'm, I'm going to tell you something, and I want you to listen to me very carefully. The death of Christ on the cross, 
the ransom that was paid for you and for me. We as God's people, I'm going to tell you right now, we as God's people do not understand that. Now, in your own defense, you might take issue with that statement, but, and, and most probably would. But I would also tell you that the evidence against us this morning is overwhelming. What we say and what we project based on what we do, I would say that the evidence against us today is overwhelming that we don't understand. When Acts chapter 9, when Paul was saved, Paul wasn't any different than you and me. Paul was just a normal guy. He hated hated Christians. He hated Christianity. He was an Old Testament Jew that that had been trained and, and indoctrinated with the law. He had been trained by the very best of his day. And he, he, Christianity was an anathema to him. And he spent his life, he spent his life finding out who were the true believers and then putting them in jail, persecuting them, and obviously many of them probably being killed. But in Acts chapter 9, something changes. In Acts chapter 9, he meets the Lord Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. And the Lord Jesus Christ came to him and spoke to him. At that point in his life, his life was never the same again. He's a perfect model of what should happen in your life and my life the day we find Christ as our own personal Savior. Something changes. You're not the same anymore. You don't look at the same things the way you did. You don't feel the same thing about the things that you once did. You don't go the same places where you used to go. You don't hang out with the same people you used to hang out with. When Paul on the road to Damascus got saved, it changed his life. You know why? Because he understood. He was heavily involved in persecuting the very men and women who had trusted Christ's death on the cross, the very men and women who looked at Christ's death as their ransom, he persecuted them. He understood it greater than anybody. And I ask myself, I asked you this morning to ask yourself, the greatest evidence that is overwhelming That we do not understand. If you're truly saved this morning, and I'm not doubting that, but I am seriously doubting that we understand it. And the evidence against us is simply this. The reason being, the way we live our lives after we get saved. See and understanding some things. See and understanding, and you and for me, that God gave the very best He had for us. Obviously, God could have, in the Old Testament, He used animal sacrifices to to cover sin, not pay for it, but to cover it. He could have done anything He wanted to do. He was God. He could have had an angel die. He could have had somebody else die. He could have done it some other way. But He did When God looked at your soul and my soul and he knew we needed a ransom, he understood that it would take the very best he had. And we give him what's left of our life after we're finished with it. 
He gave us the very best he had. We will never do that. He made the ultimate sacrifice for us. But we today could not conceive of denying ourselves for him. Unless, unless it works into the convenience of our lives. He died. He became my ransom. He became my transgressor. So I would be set free from the world. He died for you and for me to set us free from the world. But then we take that salvation and then go right back to the world and pretend we can live in both worlds. He died to separate us from everything that's wrong in life. He died to separate us from everything that is filthy and vile and unclean. He died to separate us from the wrong and from the hurtful and from the sinful things that want to destroy us. And yet, we take that salvation and we work 24-7 to put those right things back in our lives. He gave us the Bible that we would never have to make a bad decision ever in life again. We have the Bible, and yet we continue to make every bad choice, and we work at it and enjoy it. Don't tell me we understand the price that was paid. Don't tell me we understand what he did in taking away my sin. We use God. We give him lip service. We tell him what he wants to hear. We pretend we really care about him when we don't. We pretend we really love his Bible when we never read it. And all the time, when anything or anybody comes our way, we will dump God so fast, it's unbelievable. We will dump Sunday morning. We will dump Thursday night. We will dump the Bible. We will dump God himself. I told this to the kids in people ministry yesterday. Bible says that the devil is the accuser of the brethren. Revelation chapter 12, verse 10. We see it in action in Job chapter 1 and Job chapter 2. Now, I'm far from perfect, and I have my issues, and I have my problems, and I, I, I'm not putting myself on any pedestal because my feet are made of clay just like anybody else's. But I want to tell you something. I appreciate what God did for me. I don't have a complete understanding of it. Probably don't have any understanding of it. But I'm thankful and what I do understand, I appreciate what he did for me. And just as a man thing, once I understood that the devil was the accuser of the brethren, and I saw him go before the throne and, and, and Job and accuse Job before God, once I saw that, I thought to myself, I couldn't stand if God went in, the devil went into the throne room with Jesus Christ on the throne. 
and went up to Christ and pointed me out and talked about how I'm supposed to be saved, how I'm supposed to be a Christian, and then used me to laugh in God's Son's face. And some of you are okay with that. You know why you're okay with that? Because you don't understand. You don't understand. Now, in the New Testament Gospels, you have the record of him being my ransom, his death on the cross. Matthew 27, Mark 15, Luke 23, and John chapter 19. Each one will give you the facts of the death and the crucifixion of my Lord and Savior. Now listen to me. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John will give you the facts, but they will not give you the understanding. And today God's people have the facts about the death of Christ, but they don't have the understanding. Most of you have the facts. You've been to enough Easter services. You know about the Last Supper. You know about the betrayal. You know about the uh, going before Pilate. You know about the beatings and the whippings. You know about the road to Calvary. You know about his crucifixion. You know about his death, and you know about his resurrection. But Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John will just give you the bare facts. And today, that's all that Christians really have. That's all that most pastors ever have. That's all they ever get. And that's why, for you and for me, and for 99.9% of the pastors in the country today, the crucifixion has never become real to you. That's why we can take God's salvation, and then we can just think it's okay, and it doesn't change our lives. It doesn't impact anything that we are. It doesn't give us a a motivation to do the things of God. We get in our mindset that we we can get saved, but because we don't understand the price of our ransom, we just go do our own thing. In 1963, November 22nd, it's one of those events in history that when something major happens, that anybody who lived through it will always remember where they were that day. Most of you who were alive in 9-11 will always remember what you were doing the day that they flew those aircraft into the World Trade Center. Most of you were not born in 1963. If you were, you were probably just a baby. I was 13 years old. But in 1963, November 22nd, down in Dallas, in Dealey Plaza, the President of the United States, John F. Kennedy, was assassinated. He was assassinated, supposedly, by a guy by the name of Lee Harvey Oswald. I was 13 years old at the time. I was homesick from school that day. And I was watching television, and I remember like it was yesterday, when they broke in Walter Cronkite who's now long dead, he broke in and told the, uh, told the breaking news that, that, uh, that shots had been fired in Dallas and that they had rushed the President of the United States to the Parkland Hospital, and uh, uh, sh- it was total chaos and panic. For the next two or three weeks, really the next two or three months, ABC, CBS, and NBC, wasn't any cable channels back then, wasn't any cell phones. There was no texting. You actually had to talk to people. <laughs> Most people's fingers were much weaker back then than they are today. 
they carried the story and gave the facts of his death as they unfolded. Over the years, many books were written about it. I wrote a book about it. I traveled to Deedley Plaza back in the, oh, I don't remember where it was now, probably sometime in the late 80s and 90s, and uh, I've been fascinated by it, and I wrote a book on, based on the Bible, based on understanding of all things, how who should kill JFK. The FBI and the CIA would have just called me earlier. We could have got this thing wrapped up a lot quicker. <laughs> but you know what? The only way you could really understand his death, really, and have the understanding was to be in the car that day on November 22, 1963. You see, we all got the facts of the news service. Jackie had understanding. We got the facts from NBC, ABC, and CBS, but Governor Conley had understanding. We watched the video, the Subruber uh, film for that short few seconds that it was, and, and uh, we saw what happened. We had account after account, but all we got the facts. Chris Hill, or Clint Hill, he was the FBI agent who, when the shots first rang out, if you watch the story, Jackie is reaching up over the back and Clint Hill is climbing on the back to protect the president and protect her. The news media said she was reaching back to help him get in the car. That was the facts. She and Clint understood that that's not what she was doing. She was picking up the pieces of JFK's head that had splattered off, trying to put them back together when the bullet hit him. See, one had the facts. Somebody else had the understanding. You see, anybody outside the car just got the facts. But you were on the inside, you knew what really happened. And you know what? When it comes to the substitutionary death of Christ on the cross, because you all got the facts, you don't really know what happened. The fact that he was taking my transgressions, the fact that he was becoming my ransom. We will never understand it until we go there and see it from the inside. The key to our understanding Christ's death for me and Him dying for me and to see it as it really happened firsthand. You know, <clears throat> you've heard me say, <clears throat> talk about it many, many times. The Apostle John was the most unique apostle in all the Bible. And <clears throat> you've, you've heard me lay out how that he is a type and a picture of what your life and my life should be in his relationship with Christ. We, we won't go through all those things again. But I want to tell you that John had understanding of the death of Christ more than the other 12. You know why? Because he's the only one that went to the cross with him. All the rest of them never went to the cross. Peter, he's over by the fire. He's cussing like a sailor and he's denying him. James is probably the naked guy that's running off when they grabbed his coat. The rest of them were scared for their life, and everybody left him and forsook him. There was only one guy who went the distance who was standing there at the cross, and that is John. And John had an understanding of that crucifixion because he was on the inside. He was in the car, so to speak. And that shows me that if he's a model that I want to be, if he's my example then I have no excuse this morning. 
you and I who are saved have no excuse this morning for not understanding the ransom for your soul. Going to the cross with the Lord Jesus Christ every day of your life. Now today, the only way we can do that, the understanding of him being my ransom and my transgressor, is to experience it. Through his mind, through what he felt, through what he thought, to see and understand his fears, his anxiety, his agony, as it actually happened. We have to go inside of him, becoming my ransom, taking my transgression, getting on the inside of what he felt and what he thought. Not just the basic skimpy facts that gives the skeleton outline of that day. I'm talking about understanding exactly what he felt, what he thought when he went through that whole concept. Our text today, the wicked. That's Christ becoming wicked for you and for me. Becoming my ransom. Him becoming my transgressor. So I could be upright. We talk about understanding. In the Old Testament, God has recorded the very thoughts of the Lord Jesus Christ as he became my ransom. Most people never find it. Most people never read it. Most people don't even know it exists. Many of you probably didn't even know it exists. All you ever exposed to is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which just gives you the facts. This is why we don't change who we are. And I want to say something to you. I'm just going to tell you right now. After this message, if it doesn't change who you are, you better go back and see if you really got saved in the first place. Because something's wrong. We live in a day and age where we kill people without any thought of remorse. Guy can go to Las Vegas and kill 59 people. They can kill 24 kids in a school someplace, kill nine people in a church. They can kill people all over the place, and there's no remorse today. And you sit home, and you watch television, and you watch in the course of a day, you'll watch 20 people get raped, 150 people get murdered, 16 people get shot, 28 people get stabbed, and you watch in visual thing there where you watch people get eaten alive, burned alive, shot alive, and all the things, well, you can't get shot alive, but you know what I'm saying, all the things that you go through. And you know what it does? It desensitizes us to the fact that he died on the cross, and it's just like a TV program to you. God help us. No wonder we won't change our lives. No wonder we're stuck in that rut that we're in. We want to blame something that happened to us down in our past or somebody that hurt us, or we want to blame this or we want to blame that. And the truth of the matter is, you just refuse to understand the price that was paid. What do I care how mean somebody is to me when I understand how good he was to me? Amen. you got a problem. You got a problem. In that Old Testament, every moment is accounted for. Every detail of his agony and death as my sacrifice. 
the stupidity of people today that talk about Good Friday. And I'm glad you get it off if you work there. That's fine. Enjoy it. But I want to tell you something. It wasn't Good Friday. It was Bad Wednesday. From Mark chapter 11 to Mark chapter 16, you have the last week recorded for you of his life, and it takes you from, from Sunday to Sunday and brings you through every moment of his time for that last week and in great detail walks you through and shows you it was Wednesday. That's the facts. When you get understanding... your life will never be the same. And I mean never. And here lies our problem, our lack of understanding. You tell me how we can keep one foot in the world and one foot in the Bible if you really understand the price that was paid. You tell me how you have a Bible in one hand, a beer in another. You tell me you tell me how you can read about his bones being poured out of joint and the only joint you ever understand is the one you smoke. You tell me. No, I'll tell you. You don't have a clue. There's no understanding of what he did for you. Our understanding of his crucifixion, like John, it will even though it was 2,000 years ago, it will take us to that fateful day and give you and me the understanding that we so desperately need as you just don't see the story of him hanging there. You actually understand what he's thinking, what he's feeling, his fears, his anxiety. You know why you have problems with your fears and your anxieties and your depression and your struggles? Do you know why? Because you have no real depression and struggles and anxiety to compare it to. That's right. Amen. Hey, he took all of that for you and you don't have to have any of those. You choose to. That's right. You choose to. Every day, starting out our day, Standing at that cross, hearing what he says, understanding what he feels, getting inside his very mind and his very heart. It's the reason we are to do everything we do for Christ. We do what we do for him based on what he did for us, when you understand it. And the reason why most of God's people's lives are so void of anything, doing anything for God, and so complicated now that it's hard to do anything for God, you never understood it. And that's nobody's fault but yours. You can blame it on the church you went to, or the pastor you had, or this person or that person didn't teach you this, didn't teach you that. You got the same Bible that I got, and you got the same Holy Spirit of God inside you. Now, I want to just, I want you to walk with me today. You want understanding? Well, here it comes. I want to look at some of these verses in the Old Testament. I, I want you to walk with me. 
I, I want you to go with me today. I, 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 I'm just going to start at, at some of the most prominent ones, and <clears throat> I just want to walk you through. My prayer today is that we got a lot of good people in this church. We really do. But it's like any church. We got people in this church who claim they got saved and haven't changed anything. And I hope it changes you today. I want you to turn with me, if you would, to Isaiah chapter 53. I'm going to read the whole passages of these. And I want to read verses 1 through 12 in Isaiah 53. Probably Isaiah 53 is the single greatest passage in the whole Bible on his ransom for me. Martin Luther said one time, he said, Isaiah 53 needs to be framed on a black velvet <coughs> because Isaiah 53, every verse is studded diamond. He said in Isaiah chapter 53, reading these 12 verses, who hath believed our report and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of the dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness when we shall see him. There is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief, and we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace, the peace that you have with God right now, <clears throat> was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray and have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Do you see that? <clears throat> in spite of the fact that God knew we were like sheep and we were going to go astray, God still laid all of my iniquity on Him for me. He was oppressed and He was afflicted, yet He opened not His mouth. He has brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so He opened not His mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief and when shall that make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul, and shall be satisfied by his knowledge that my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and will divide the spoil with him strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and was numbered with the transgressors, that he bear, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession 
for the transgressors. The Bible says in verse 2 that he was a root out of dry ground, a tender plant. The dry ground is Israel. The tender plant is the Lord Jesus Christ. And that dry land that had forsaken God, in that gray wasteland called Israel, up came a tender plant. And in this world, <clears throat> this wicked world that is dry and destitute from anything of God, you are that tender plant. Verse 4 says, Surely he bore our grief and carried our sorrows. He was stricken and smitten of God and afflicted. He bore my grief. He carried our sorrows. God put the iniquity of me on him. By verse 5 says that he was, he was wounded for my transgression. Every nail in his hand, every nail in his foot, every the spirit of side, every Every lash on his back with a cat of nine tails, every stripe, every wound in his body was for my transgression. And the stripes on his back, when I showed up in this old world, disease ridden, sinful, ungodly with a disease that was going to land me in hell. With his stripes, I was healed. Look at verse 6. Like sheep, every one of us go astray. But in spite of that, the Lord laid on him the iniquity of all of us in spite of who we are, in spite of what we do. Now, I, I just got to ask you a question. How, how, do you, how do you understand that and live our lives the way we do? How do you understand that and just go out of here today, back to your fun little world? How do you go out of here today depressed? How do you go out of here today with my life is worthless? And maybe it is. How do you go out of here today contemplating, I'm going to take my own life. And maybe you will. But the only reason you are in that position of your mindset, you don't understand. You choose to live where you're at. You choose to be who you are. girl said to me one time, she says, I can't help the way I am. I'm just like my father. I said to her, yeah, I can't help the way I am. I'm just like my father. You're like the wrong father. You can't use your earthly father to blame your problems on. Not when you got a heavenly problem, that father that paid the debt to live above the circumstances of life. You choose not to. Verse 10, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. I'll never understand that. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Make his soul my offering for sin. Why? Because he became my ransom, Proverbs chapter 21, verse 18. My wickedness was put on him. He bore my transgressions. 
that I might walk upright. God's love for you and for me superseded His love for His own Son. It's too bad that our love for God will never supersede anything we want in our lives. That's the problem. We love the things of life that we have. We become so comfortable. We become so indifferent. We become so selfish. We become so stuck in a way. We become so one-minded, one-dimensional. We just cannot understand how that the death of the Christ on the cross changes your life. Turn over to Psalms 22. One of the greatest graphic accounts of his mind on that day. You want understanding? Here it is. <clears throat> Psalms 22.1 My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me? I'm from the words of my roaring. Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not in the night season, and am not silent, but thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in thee, they trusted, and thou didst deliver them. They cried unto thee, and they were delivered. They trusted in thee, and were not confounded. But I am a worm, and no man a reproach of men, and despised of the people. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake their head, saying, He trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. But thou art he that took me out of the womb, and this make me hope when I was upon my mother's breast. I was cast upon thee from the womb. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. Be not far from me, for trouble is near. For there is none to help. Many bulls have compassed me. Strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round. They gaped upon me with their mouths as a, rave, uh, a raving and roarous lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potshed, and my tongue cleaveth to my jaws. And thou hast brought me into the dust, uh, into the dust of death. For dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I tell all my bones, they look and they stare upon me. They part my garment among them and cast lots upon my vesture. Be not thou far from me, O Lord, O my strength. Haste thee to help me. Deliver my soul from the sword, my darling from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth. For thou hast heard me from the horns of the unicorn. I want to tell you something. God refused to hear him. God didn't answer his prayers. God refused to deliver him. God didn't come down and take him off that cross. God didn't stop what was going on. He prayed and cried to God, and just like I tried to preach you a couple weeks ago, and probably some of you didn't like it, there comes a time in your life because you don't do what was right. With the poor, God doesn't hear your cry. You know why God will hear your cry today if you do what's right with God? Do you understand why God who is holy and you and I are so rotten and wretched and miserable, do you understand why God will hear your cry today uh, when, uh, when you cry out to Him? Do you want to know why? I'll tell you why. Because He refused to hear His sons. 
and you don't even care. You don't understand. You got the facts. Hang on, Easter, we'll get them. Verse 1 says, he cries out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? John chapter 19, verse 28 says that he, he on the cross, he says, I thirst. Verse 15 says that his tongue is sticking to the roof of his mouth and his jaws. You know what that is? That's a picture of a man in hell. A man in hell looks up and says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The rich man in Luke chapter 16 says, I thirst. Doesn't it matter to you? Doesn't it mean anything to you? Will it not change your life to know that there's one that paid your price in hell? No, it won't. We don't understand. Verse 7, making fun of him. Say, oh, if thou be the son of God, you claim to be the king. They bowed down and mocked him. They made fun of him. And you and me. We'll keep our mouth shut at work. We won't witness where we should. We won't let it be known we're a child of God. But we don't want them to laugh at us. They laughed at him. For you. Verse 12 and 13. The dogs, the bulls, the roaring lion. All pictures of unsaved people and demonic activity around the cross. Verse 14 says, I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax that melted in the midst of my bowels. Completely out of control emotionally. When it talks about your emotions being like water, it means there's nothing to contain your emotions. Poured out like water on the ground, it goes everywhere. He's on that cross, he's fearful, he's in agony, he's scared, he's got anxiety. He's got the fact that he's trusting in God, his heavenly father, who he knows that he's the apple of his eye. He certainly thought and understood that his father would stop all this and come down and deliver him, but he didn't. Verse 18 says, the parting of his garments and the casting of the lots. We'll find that in Luke chapter 23 and along the facts, 34. 2334. They stripped the Son of God naked. The aristocracy of heaven. They put him on the cross, and the whole wicked world laughed at him, mocked him, made fun of him, stripped him naked, and put him up on a cross that everybody could see. I'm talking about the day. I'm talking about the day. I'm talking about the day the creation slapped the face of the Creator. I'm talking about the day the creation, creation ripped out the beard of the Creator. I'm talking about the day that they whipped him on the back. They spit in his face. The Creator of all things, the creation, killed the Creator. God just let it happen. And the thought of that changed nothing in your life. You're good people. And I love you very much. I don't think there's a bad one here this morning. But you don't understand. You don't understand. 
over to Job chapter 30. Another powerful chapter of his thoughts. Job chapter 30, pick it up in verse 9. And now am I their song, I am their byword. They abhor me, they flee far from me, and spare not to spit in my face. Because he hath loosed my cord and afflicted me, they have also let loose the bridle before me. Upon my right hand rise the youth, they push away my feet. They raise up against me the ways of destruction. Right there is where they're taking his hands and their feet. They're positioning him on the cross, going to put the nails in him. Every piece of it, every graphic thought, every, every action that took place that day. You want on the inside? You want understanding? Here it is. They mar my path and set forward my calamity. They have no helper. They came upon me as a wide breaking in of waters. In the desolation, they rolled themselves upon me. Terrors are turned upon me. You see that? Terrors are turned upon the Son of God. God Almighty felt the same terror that you and I feel in a desperate situation of life. You think you're the only one that ever went through it. How many times has somebody told you when you're going through something, well, you're not the only one to go through it. Well, who cares? Who gives a flip about who else went through it? He went through it. And because he went through all he went through, listen to me, you don't have to go through anything you're going through. You choose to. Because you don't understand. <clears throat> kind of hard to blame you're not doing what's right on me this morning, isn't it? Kind of hard to blame you not caring about coming to church on the church this morning, isn't it? Kind of hard to blame all your problems on me or somebody else this morning, isn't it? It goes back to the cross. Right. <laughs> How do I look in my old throwback uniform this morning? <laughs> and now my soul was poured out upon me. The days of affliction have taken hold upon me. My bones are pierced in me in the night season, and my sinews take no rest. By the great force of my disease, that's the sin that was put on him, is my garment chained. It bindeth me about as the collar of my coat. He hath cast me into the mire, and I have become like dust and ashes. I cry unto thee, and thou dost not hear me. I stand up. Thou regardest me not. Thou art become cruel. With thy strong hand thou opposest thyself against me. Thou liftest me up to the wind. Thou causest me to ride upon it. There's a picture. After they nailed him to the cross, the cross is laying on the ground. He's now nailed to it. Got a hole right there. They go back there and they pick up that cross and they start walking that cross up. And it's a picture of them raising that cross up to go in that hole. And he's feeling the wind blowing on him as he's lifted up. For I know that thou wilt bring me to death and to the house appointed for all living. Howbeit he will not stretch out his hand to the grave, though they cry in his destruction. 
Did I not weep for him that was in trouble? Was not my soul grieved for the poor? Would I look for good? Then evil came unto me. And when I waited for light, there came darkness. You better get verse 25 and 26 down because I want to tell you something. If you're ever going to get into ministry, they're going to be the two verses you're going to live by. You're going to do what's right all your life, try to help people, give people this, do this for that, and they are going to turn and destroy you. But you know why you don't get upset about it? You don't let it stop you. You don't let it make you quit. You know why? Because they did it to him. And if they did it to him first, it's a privilege for me to do it to me for him. No understanding. Oh, look at verse 27. My bowels boiled and rested not. The days of affliction prevented me. I went mourning without the sun. I stood up and cried in the congregation. I am a brother to dragons, that's the devil, and a companion of owls, that's demons. My skin is black upon me. My bones are burned with heat. My harp also was turned in the morning, and my organ under the voice of them that weep. Verse 9 and 10 says that he's their byword. That's a, that's, a, that's a dirty word. That's like using God's name in vain. He's a byword to them. I already told you verses 12 and 14 is putting the nails in his hands and his feet. Verse 15, the terror that he felt for you and for me. Verse 17, 18 and 19, the change of him his garment, which you find in Matthew chapter 27, verse 28 through 31. They mocked him as king. Verse 21 through 22, lifted up to the wind. They set the cross in that hole evil return for good your whole ministry my whole ministry is simply that you give people the truth you give them the good and they will return evil to you my favorite phrase is and it comes to the ministry no good deed will go unpunished and the way you deal with that is you have understanding verse 27 through 31 oh boy from the sixth to the ninth hour bones burn black with heat Bowels boiling. It wasn't the fact that from that sixth to the ninth hour when the sun refused to shine, when, when God literally turned his back on his sun, it wasn't that Christ died and went down into hell and paid my price. It was at that sixth to the ninth hour when he cried out, my God, my God, when he said, I thirst. It was that point in time that the devil brought hell to him on the cross. Listen to me. In those three hours, in those three hours, he paid the sin debt, the torment, the agony for every man, for every woman that ever lived on planet earth. God put it all in one big package and laid it on him. And we can't even do one thing for him. Our lives are so busy. We're so important. We got so much going on. The day he paid my price in hell. You don't get that out of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Got to get in the car. Turn over to Job chapter 16. Verses 9 through 22, he teareth me in his wrath, who hateth me. He gnashes upon me with his teeth. 
Mine enemy sharpeneth his eyes upon me. They have gaped upon me with their mouth. They have smitten me upon the cheek reproachfully. They have gathered themselves together against me. God hath delivered me to the ungodly and turned me over to the hands of the wicked. I was at ease, but he had broken me asunder. He hath also taken me by my neck and shaken me to pieces and set me up for his mark. His archers compass me round about. He cleaveth my reins asunder and doth not spare. He poureth out my gall upon the ground. He breaketh me with the breach upon breach. He runneth upon me like a giant. I have sowed sackcloth upon my skin and defiled my horn in the dust. My face is foul with weeping and on my eyelids is the shadow of death getting ready to die. Not for any injustice in mine hands also my prayer, my prayer is pure. O earth, cover not thou my blood, and let not my cry have no place. Oh, what a great verse. What a great verse. I want to tell you this morning, I'm so glad that the earth and the ground didn't cover his blood. I'm so glad that his blood just didn't run down the ground like anybody else's. I'm so glad Acts chapter 20, verse 28 says it was God's blood. Oh, I'm so glad that when, the, when the, that prayer was answered, when his blood came down and it poured out of his body, it didn't go into the ground and the ground didn't cover it up. And he found a place for me and you. Isaiah 52, verse 14 says, As many as were astonished at thee, because his visage was so marred, more than any man, more than the sons of man. 9 through 10 and 11 says that God turned him over to his enemies, and they gnashed upon him with their teeth. They hit him in the cheeks. They pulled out his beard. They spit in his face. Verse 14 talked about the giant. That's the devil's crown. Genesis 6. Verse 20, My friends scorn me, but mine eye... Out of uh, under uh, my eye pours out tears unto God. I want to tell you something. Sometimes your friends will betray you. They will. I, I think the hardest betrayal in the planet is being betrayed by somebody that you love. Hardest betrayal in the world. But I want to tell you something. In this life, your friends will betray you. They'll tell you your friends on Monday, and they'll betray you on Tuesday. Certainly by Wednesday. But his friends betrayed him. Over there in Zechariah chapter 13, verse 6, it's prophetically talking about the Lord in the millennium. And it says, it says, uh, And one shall say unto him, What are these wounds in thy hands? And he shall answer those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. The Bible says he came unto his own, and his own received him not. People will betray you. People will forsake you. People that will tell you they love you, they will commit yourself to you and be, and then they will betray you. Part of life. And the reason why you can deal with it and forgive them and deal on and move in life is because the greatest betrayal in the history of the world was not by what anybody betrayed you or betrayed me. The greatest betrayal in the world is when he came unto his own and his own received him not. Look at Psalm 77.
I cried unto God, verse 1, with my voice, even unto God with my voice, and he gave ear unto me. In the day of my trouble, I sought the Lord, and my soul ran in the night, and ceased not. My soul refused to be comforted. Do you ever have a night like that? You ever have a night when you can't sleep, and it's just turmoil and all everything in your life? Something's happened, something bad, something's transpired. You know where you find comfort? You find comfort that the original source of staying up all night and not being comforted was on the cross. I remembered God and was troubled. I complained and my spirit was overwhelmed. Thou holdest my eyes waking. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I have considered the days of old, the years of the ancient times in the night. I call to remembrance my song in the night. I commune with mine own heart and my spirit made diligent search. Will the Lord cast off forever and will he be favorable no more? Is his mercies clean gone forever? Doth his promise fail forevermore? Hath God forgotten to be gracious? Hath he in anger shut up his tender mercies? And I said, this is my infirmity, but I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. I remember the works of the Lord. Surely I remember the wonders of old. I will meditate also in thy work and talk of thy doings. Thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary, who is so great a God as our God. Thou art the God that dost wonders, and which declared thy strength among the people. Thou hast with time arm redeemed, of thine arm redeemed thy people, the sons of Jacob and Joseph. The waters saw thee, O God, the waters saw thee and were afraid. The depths were also troubled. The clouds poured out water. The sky shed out a sound. Thine arrows were broad. That's the sixth and the ninth hour when the darkness over the pace of the earth, the lightning and the thunder. The voice of thy thunder was in the heavens. The lightnings lighteth the world. The earth trembled and shook. Thy way is in the sea, and thy path in the great waters, and thy footsteps are not known. He says in verse 1 and 3, he cried out to God. He cried out to God. The deep tragedies of our life, the things that we go through alone, he went through them so you don't have to go through alone. Do you understand that? You realize that everything he did on the cross, he did that you would not have to experience it. Verses 7, 8, and 9, God completely forsaking him. Why? So he would never forsake you and me. God turned his back on him so he'd never have to turn it on you and me. Verse 10 and 11 really gives us the key to everything. Verse 10 and 11 gives us everything that we need to understand and see it and put it together. He says, when I, Christ was on the cross and he was going through all this tough time, he remembered three things. And I'm going to tell you this morning, when you go through your tough times in life, if you can find it in yourself to have understanding and remember three things. If you notice in this Psalm 77, once he laid these things out, it all changes. It goes from a negative to a positive. And he says, I will remember the years. I remember the works. I remember the wonders. You see, when Christ was hanging out on the cross and he was going through what he went through, the thing that got him through was focusing on three things. And when you go through the tough times in your life, based on what he did for you, it's these same three things, if you'll remember them, will get you through. 
the first thing he says, I remember the years. And the first thing you got to remember is the years in your life without Christ. You know, we as God's people get complaining about the things that we don't like and the things that are now. Now, let me ask you a question. Is it, is it better now than it was before you got saved? Amen. Then shut your mouth. I remember the, remember the years. Do you? Do you understand how it was before the day you got saved? How rotten, miserable you were? How unhappy you were? Unfulfilled you were? And you say, yeah, but I'm the same way now. That's because you choose to be. You don't have to be anymore. You just choose to put things and keep things in your life that should have went the day you got saved. So when you get down on the thing, you want to get back to the years, and then you want to remember the, the work, the works. That's your death on the cross. You focus on the fact that he died for you and what he put up with. And then you remember the wonders. That's all the things he did for you. All the things he did for you. All the things that he did for you. Finally, turn over to Isaiah chapter 50. This is really the reality here. We talk about understanding and the reality of understanding. Here it is. This pulls it all together. Isaiah chapter 50, verse 7, 8, and 9, it says this. For the Lord God will help me, therefore shall I not be confounded. Therefore have I set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be ashamed. Do you get that? When he saw who God was, when he remembered the, 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 the years, when he remembered the works, and he remembered the wonders, and they're beating him and kicking him and doing all the things that they're doing to him, and he's thinking about you and he's thinking about me, and he understands what he's there for. The Bible says that he looks and he puts his face like a flint. In other words, he says, hit me, beat me, kick me, do all you want to do to me. I'm not here for myself. I'm here to be a ransom for Bob Alexander. Verse 8, he is near that justifieth me. Who will contend with me? Let us stand together. Whom is mine adversary? Let him come near to me. Now there it is. You see, when you only have the facts, you think that it's just a bunch of crazed Pharisees, Sadducees, and high priests beating and kicking and taking the life of a poor prophet named Jesus. Terrible tragedy, terrible thing, but... It's just a bunch of wide-eyed religious fanatics trying to keep him from taking over their church and taking over the nation of Israel, and they killed him and got rid of him. Oh, there's so much more than that. There's more going on here than just a bunch of scribes and Pharisees beating and taking the life of a poor prophet named Jesus. He's sitting in that cross, standing on, or hung under that cross, and he's looking into the spiritual world of the face. And he says to God, Whom is mine adversary? Let him come unto me. On that fateful day, the devil showed up to get him to quit. That's the day, whether you know it or not, if you've got understanding, it's the day that you and I, unlike any other day in the history of the world, it's the day that your soul and my soul hung in the balance. If God won, praise the Lord. If the devil won, we're all in trouble. And there in that spirit world, amidst the beatings and the slapping and all the, and all the things that are going on, there's one spirit being looking into the face of another spiritual being, and he's saying, who is my adversary? Let him come unto me. The devil had tried all down through history to stop him. 
God out called out the nation of Israel and the devil stopped them flat. Christ showed up in the first coming of Christ in Matthew chapter 4. The first thing he does is take him up on a mountain and try to bribe him out. Then he used the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees to try to stop him. When that didn't work, he brought in Judas to betray him. And Judas finally got him to the place where they could kill him. Now on the cross, the devil unleashes all of hell on him to get him to quit. I thirst, my God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? From the sixth to the ninth hour, he tried to get him to quit. And, I, and I'm sure as they're standing down there and God is standing up there looking down from heaven and he sees them mutilating his son, whipping his son, and his son crying out to him, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And he says, God, why don't you hear me? Why won't you deliver me? And they're laughing at him and they're throwing rocks at him and garbage at him. And about that time, he's hanging there and he's thinking and he's dying on that cross and the agony and the terror. And some old Roman soldier wants to impress his buddies and he says, watch this. And he wakes up and picks up a big old spear and he walks over and he throws that spear up into his side and he winces with pain at that time, at that moment, at that second. God, God the Father up in heaven raised his hand. He'd had enough. He'd been done with it. He raised his hand to send 10,000 angels to wipe out the earth. But his son looked up and said, Father, Father, they know not what they do. You send the angels down and take me off this cross. Bob Alexander will spend an eternity in hell. Every man and woman will be lost without Christ. In the midst of that agony and that torment and that conflict with his adversary, the hand of God came down. God let his son be my ransom. Do you understand that? How do we live our lives the way we do? How do we forget that? And Christ finally dies, and the devil up to this point has the keys of death and hell, and he had to keep him in the grave. He had to keep him in death. And when he died on the cross, all hell broke loose in a cheer that we got him. He's in death. The devil, his majesty, Satan, the adversary, has the keys of death and hell. But up from the grave he arose. And now he's got the keys, Revelation 1.18. He became my ransom. My transgression was put on him. Praise the Lord, right? Glory to God. Amen, right? Hallelujah, right? We sing the song, sing song. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. Thank you, Lord, for giving to me thy great salvation, so rich and free. And I'll tell you what, Lord. I'm so thankful. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take your salvation, and I'm going to use it as a get-out-of-hell card and the big game of life. And God... I'm going to take every good thing, every blessing, every benefit, everything being your child, and I'll not give one thought to understanding of what you did for me. I'll tell you what. Oh, 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 the love that drew salvation's plan. Oh, the grace that brought it down to man. Oh, the mighty gulf that God did span at Calvary. 
I'm going to take all that. I'm going to take the blessings. I'm going to take it. I'm going to take every dime you give me and I'll give you nothing back. I'm going to take all the blessings and I'll never be a blessing to anybody else. I'll keep my life. I'll keep my money. I'll keep my possessions. I'll have my own relationships. All for me. And if there's anything left, maybe, just maybe, I'll deal you in. I'll use you. I'll abuse you. Hey, I'll do the same thing to you now that they did to you on the cross. You'll be my God. You'll be, after all you did for me, you'll be my fire extinguisher. I'll keep you in a glass case that just says, break in case of emergency. Other than that, dear God, sweet Jesus, lover of my soul, thanks but no thanks. Stay in the shadows of my life till I really need you, and I'll give you the call. We have absolutely no understanding of his becoming our ransom. My transgressions laid on him that I may have his righteousness and walk with him uprightly. We do not understand it. John understood it. He wrote in Revelation chapter 1, verses 4 through 6, John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you in peace from which is, from which was, and which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, and of the first begotten of the dead, and of the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. We need to start every day of our lives right there the foot of the cross understanding what he did for me so I have a better understanding what I need to do for him years ago when I was traveling with Mel this had to be had to be 72, 73 Mel was preaching a rival down in Steubenville, Ohio Steubenville is a little river town down on the West Virginia Ohio border Ohio River runs around it, through it. We got down there to preach, and it's a little community, a tough community, a little river town, it's a pretty rough place. We had got down there, and we had heard the news and heard the stories. In fact, Mel preached on it that night, just tore the place apart. They had down there across the river drawbridges where the train would go over, and there was a guy that would sit in the wheelhouse, and he'd, he'd turn the bridge this way, the river going this way and the boats would pass and then he'd turn it back this way when the train went over. He would leave it up across the track because trains went on it regularly. But his job was to stand there and to, he got a call that you know, he, would, he, would, uh, he would pull the levers and uh, pull both back and it would turn into there or turn out and the boats could go by or the trains could go by. Well, <clears throat> one day, he had a little nine-year-old son 
that nine-year-old son loved his daddy and just, and, you know, wanted to always go to work with his daddy. And so one day he thought that, that it would be okay to take him to work with him. And so all through the morning they're sitting up there, you know, and, and uh, they're doing it and the boats are coming through and they're honking their horn. He's turning the bridge and he puts it back. The trains go through and they're just having a great time. The boat starts coming down the channel there and honks this horn and he starts turning the bridge. And it takes about 10 minutes to get the bridge turned. It moved very slowly. And the bridge is open there, and he signals back for that. And about that time, he out there with his boy watching the, watching the boat come down, and they're having a great time, and the phone rings. And it's a dispatcher, and he says, there's been a mess up uh, on, the, on the system on the line. He says, there's a passenger train. It's two minutes out, uh, and it's coming down the line. And he says, there's, there's 300 people on it. He says, whatever you do, make sure, he said, make sure that bridge is closed. Well, the guy was panicked. The bridge is open, and it has to really take some time to get it closed. So he goes running into that thing, and when he did, he bumped his little kid, and he got in there, and he looked out, and his kid was hanging on the banister, and he fell over the banister and went into the Ohio River. And he went in there, and for a moment, he began to walk over to get that kid and pick up a light preserver, and the moment he walked out that door, he heard the train was just up a mile up the road. He looked at his boy who was saying, Daddy, Daddy, help me, Daddy. I'm drowning. Help me, Daddy. Come and get me, Daddy. Please, Daddy. And he went again and he heard the train. And he went in there and he went into that deal and he watched his little boy and he put his hands on those levers and he pulled those levers forward and that bridge began to come back around and he held on to it and he watched his boy get swept down the river and he watched his boy go under for the last time when he looked up, that train had just went across and 300 people would have went into eternity were saved because of a man who sacrificed his own son to save 300 people on a train going across that river. Steubenville, Ohio was broken. It was in all the newspapers. Mel preached on it that night and had a great revival. And I'll never forget when he told that story and he made the application, do you know where I'm going with it, that there was a day, there was a day when God's son cried out to his father. There was a day when God's son cried out, my God, my God! Why has thou forsaken me? Oh, Father, why won't you? And God held the hands on that lever that afflicted his son that you and I will go across the expanse of this life into heaven. We don't understand the price that was paid. If we did, our lives would be different. We would change some things about us. We change some attitudes. We change some places that we go. We change some people that we hang out with. We change some things about us because we would realize that we have a purpose in life and oh, there had to be a price paid. There had to be a price paid for us to do what God wants us to do. We were no good the way we were. And God turned his back on his son that you and I might go across that expanse of eternity into eternal life. Every head bowed, every eye closed.